Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name is Dulta Doherty and in this podcast series, I'll be speaking to investors, advisors, entrepreneurs and recruiters who are based all over the world and we'll be discussing how to set up, scale and operate a world-class recruitment company. World-class recruitment companies need world-class trainers and today's guest is Dan Grima. He is a very experienced recruitment trainer and we talked about the detail of how to go about training people at different levels and what's missing in recruitment firms today and what he does. We just had a general chat about the industry. Hope you find it useful. You can uh, find uh, Dan on LinkedIn if you do and tell him how wonderful he was as a guest. Uh, hope you're all having a great start to the week. I'm uh, I'm just busy here catching up, getting out all the podcasts that we've done over the past while. Um, one of the things of creating a lot of content is it's done a great deal of positive for our business, which has meant I've had lots more work to do, which meant that I'm a little bit behind in getting some of the stuff out. Um, but I've hired a full-time marketing person to help me and help the business. So hopefully things will run a little bit more smoothly in the coming months. And uh, I appreciate your patience. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and share it and send it to another recruiter. Um, Recruiters are the currency that we live and die by here. So I really appreciate all the support or any messages. And if if it's helping your business at all, I'd love to know. Um, Again... If you don't tell me, I won't know, and I won't know what topics to cover. So please do reach out, and I am always available for a chat. All right, cheers. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well today. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Thanks very Dan. much. Uh, and thanks for reaching out to me. I love getting feedback from people who've listened to the podcast. Uh, no problem. I caught a couple of the I've caught a couple of the previous podcasts, and um, I didn't. I, I knew you by reputation only, just from LinkedIn, really, more than anything else, and seeing some of the posts that you're putting out there. And um, having listened to a few of the podcasts, I was really impressed. So, uh, yeah, I thought it would be great to just uh, reach out and let you know. I think there's not enough of uh, people letting each other know and letting strangers know if there's something that they thought was really good. So, yeah, just great to ping you a little message. Is this your first time on a podcast? It certainly is. Okay, all right. I'll go yeah. easy. Yeah. Please, please do. That would be really appreciated. <laughs> so, uh, before I jump into your kind of legacy, um what is it you do at the moment? So I'm I'm running my own business called 2020 Talent. And 2020 Talent is a management consultancy and training business mm-hmm. um, working exclusively with recruitment companies. So my background is over 20 years in the recruitment industry now. Um, the first half of my career I spent on the tools, working up from being a recruiter, um, getting into management from there and working my way up the ladder. And then just over 10 years ago, I once kind of I'm running my own division and running my own teams, I noticed that what I was finding really, um, really enjoyable about my role was training people and passing on my knowledge and letting others learn from my mistakes. And at that stage, I really started making a move more into the learning and development and training side and haven't looked back since actually. And as I say, started up my own business three years ago where I work with a number of different recruitment businesses, all sectors. Can I name? Um, well, one of my most exciting clients is called Taylor Hopkinson, actually. Um, I say most exciting because they're in a, a really good sector that I am really passionate about, which is the renewable energy industry. So it's been absolutely great training their teams, working with the management team and also um, the consultants as well. But also, apart from doing what we do because we enjoy it and obviously it uh, pays us well, it's also great to see efforts going back into helping the planet and all the really important stuff that I think we're spending more time thinking about, but still not as much time as we should. 
In the past, you've worked as head of talent and learning and development in a couple of different roles. I find that interesting. Do you think that anybody could be good at recruitment or is it something that can be completely learned or does there have to be something that's innate in in the ability to to kind of join, join dots and survive? I think that there are innate qualities and, and being able to connect the dots, see things as they are. I think one of the, one of the reasons that I love recruitment is that it just calls on so many skills. So obviously it's questioning skills and sales skills and the ability to influence, but also the ability to see if uh, someone's not being completely straight with you as well. Um, and the whole commerciality piece. So training that, um, that myself and others like me provide helps develop all of those skills but to give you a straight answer yeah i do think i don't think everybody's got what it takes to be a recruiter i think it's a well-paid job but that's because it's a really tough job and not everybody can do it and when you when, whenever you're discussing this with a client how does how does that process work so i run a recruitment business what, yeah. how does the steps normally work for them for you to go okay actually i can help you and here's here's my six or 15 point plan or, or whatever it is you do to implement it like walk me through that journey yeah yeah i think i think every business is different um so there are some common themes which runs which run for recruitment businesses um in terms of what can help with training so a lot of that is about when deals go south later on in the process as, as you and i know a lot of that is to do with people not recognizing the signs earlier or not asking the right questions earlier in the process. So we we do a lot of training around questioning techniques, qualifying roles, but also uh, closing techniques as well. So all of the different areas of the mechanics of recruitment, and you know I won't bore you, but that goes right from rookie stuff um, and the questioning techniques that I've mentioned right up to working with the senior consultants on sir how to sell retained assignments, how to neutralize counter offers, all of that stuff. So training for all levels of recruiter. But to answer your question, the way to really stitch that together, and I think when we put a 15-point plan together or something like that, it's always going to include what are the team leaders and managers doing as well to make sure that this stuff sticks. Because there's little point going into a classroom with someone or going into a training workshop um, and spending a couple of hours um, picking up new skills if that new knowledge isn't going to be kind of embedded at desk level and behaviors built because a lot of it's about forming Talk to habits, me about, like let's break some of that down and um, so for for rookies what type of stuff are you training them on okay so one thing i i make sure i um i cover with rookies that i don't think everyone does is giving a bit of context on how the industry works as well so how do we make uh, margin and markup on the contract side versus working um, on permanent and the creme de la creme of permanent work normally being the uh, the senior end search assignments and working those on a retained basis. So giving people the context and backdrop so they can actually see, right, the reason that I'm asking this question at point A is because once we get much further down the recruitment lifecycle, we could have an issue unless I've covered this off much earlier. So it's giving the context, it's understanding the recruitment life cycle and all of the different parts of that. And then it's breaking it down into bite-sized chunks so people develop, without wanting to make it sound overcomplicated, so people develop the competency they need to move through each stage of that life cycle, whether it's questioning, whether it's objection handling, whether it's closing, whether it's influencing. Um, and the different kind of challenges that they're going to get when dealing with candidates versus dealing clients. What do you think is responsible well? for the high turnover in the recruitment industry in terms of their uh, staff attrition? I think it's it's probably two things mainly. I mean, the first thing that can't be ignored is uh, we've, we've all seen lots of different personality types and ways of doing it and lots of different types of people become successful in recruitment. And that often means that it can be quite difficult to then understand from someone during an interview process, um, or even even if you invite them in to spend a couple of hours with you and actually experience the phones before you actually make a solid job offer. It can be difficult to make sure that you do identify the right people. And that's always going to lead to a, to a turnover. Um, even when people have got what it takes, 
if they're not going into a company and being motivated and managed in the right way, they might give up even if they had what it takes and move on. I think it's a tough job. And how can learning and development uh, mitigate Um, that and extend the careers? Yeah, I think it's about staying close to people in, in their in their crucial first three months. So it's about having a definite menu of learning um, that you take people through so people can understand this is the training and development I'm going to get in my first week on the onboarding side. Then throughout my first month, I'll get formal training in these areas. And then, you know, right up to my first six, 12 months that there's always things to learn. And then it comes to, I think, the manager's being able to check in with their teams as well so they can actually understand how someone's doing. I mean, one of the biggest um, problems I see is rookie recruiters coming on board, not hitting the ground and getting up and running as quickly as their managers would like, but then no decision being made to intervene in terms of let's give extra training or let's have an open conversation with this person and and talk about the fact that this career might not be for them. or whatever else. Generally, I think people, there are quite a few companies where people just do get, get given the option to stay a bit too long in the role. Do you have a systematic model that you try and implement in, in companies or is it? do you just look at it for the individual and, and try and tailor it for that? Yes, I've got a systematic model that I use and I flex that for each of my clients. So depending on the size of the business, depending on the setup of the business, whether they're mainly contracts, perm, both, um, and the market that they're operating in, I will will tweak it. But in essence, the systematic model is it's, um, it's a blended learning approach. So it's a combination of online learning where people get to click through drag and drop exercises, um, multiple choice questions, puzzles on the screen that they can do from their computer, their mobile phone, their any kind of mobile device. Um, and that's blended with um, training workshops face to face. So the training workshops will then give a deep dive into, let's say, qualifying candidates for a new starter, um, combine that with the online learning that they do. And then from there, we go into putting it into a live scenario. So you actually actually can test observe people's calls, see what questions they're asking. Are they going for the leads? Are they going for the referrals? And actually put this all together so the, the skill gets named, basically, and then you can move on to the next skill. Every every single phone call for me, every single phone call. Um, every business wants to go for leads and referrals, but it's something that isn't driven by every single business as hard as it could be. Um, so for me whether it's phone call number one or whether it's a phone call with someone that you've got a great relationship because you've been working with them for several weeks or months. Um, most phone calls are an opportunity to ask for that. And and I think if you've got the emotional intelligence to ask for it in a, in a soft and polite way, then you can get away with asking for that kind of information in different ways on every phone call. Um, and one thing that I find really rewarding is is putting that message across to teams and working with them on it and and often getting a bit of pushback. Often new consultants saying, oh, I'm just not that comfortable and asking for that kind of thing because why would they tell us? And there might be pushback and it's just going to be, it's just going to make the conversation awkward. But then, you know, really encouraging people to ask it and then seeing the results coming in. Um, Nine times out of ten, it's not because someone wouldn't tell it's you. It's tricky because one, right? You wouldn't ask. And um, if you've been doing recruitment for, me. for a while, you should have the ability to ask those questions. But it can be tough to build rapport when you don't know your subject matter. And uh, do you? So, do you think you would recommend even for rookies to get into uh-huh. the habit of that? Um, Yeah, I totally recommend that. And, you know, as I say, I've, I've seen, I've, I've been there when rookies have pushed back on that one, you know, expressed concern. I've, you know, I've asked them to do it and said, come on, just what have you got to lose? If you do it and they don't give it to you, then you've, you've lost nothing. Um, and I've then seen them asking for that information on phone call number one, phone call number two. And, you know, you won't always get an answer, but even if you're getting information, you train people information back half of the time, that's still massive. Yes. Sorry, I missed that. Did you say, how do I train people on BD? Okay. Um, BD for me is broken down into two things, really. So first, it's 
um, identifying where you should BD. So again, for that, you've got lots of things you can pick up from online, on the press, you should know your market anyway, asking, um, talking to clients about their biggest competitors, but then also, of course, pulling um, pulling leads from every single candidate and client that you speak to, just politely asking for that information during the conversation. Um, so I run a real deep dive into how to identify who you should be calling to BD. And then as a separate session, once people have got their call list together and they've got lots of information about, okay, here's 30 or 40 people that I'm going to try and get through to this week, then mm -hmm. I, I normally train it in terms of what objections are we expecting? What are we going to say? How are we going to get past gatekeepers? One. So all of the traditional Walk stuff that step one. You're, you're probably very familiar with. So again, sorry. Step one of... Um, so step one, understand where the business opportunities are. So we train various ways of how to pull leads from both candidates and clients. So every conversation, even if you're speaking to a client to gather interview feedback, that's still an opportunity to ask for leads as well. If you could find out who they've met that they're not interested in or are there any themes, are they seeing people from particular organizations or are there any organizations where they've lost people to and that's seen as a or a business that's seen as a good training ground and they particularly like people from there these are all really good leads that you can pull so populating your database with companies that you should be making approaches to because they're in your world um, you know partner that with what you can find out from various online technologies like global data or um, simply looking at Google or industry press, job mean, adverts, all that like kind of stuff. Data. That's step one. It's populating who you're going to phone. So global data is um, something that a lot of my clients are now subscribing to, where it just gives them um, news feeds, really, of who's doing what in their given industry. So I don't think it's a cheap tool, but it's a really good tool for BD when it gives you... Um, a lot of awareness of what's going on, who's buying who, who's doing a project with who, and where that stuff is happening. So again, that's going to be lots of target clients that you should be speaking mm -hmm. with. And then step two then, um, you're talking about the so, operational yeah. side. What type of objections do you train people on? Um, so objections, all the stuff that I'm sure you would um, you'd be really familiar with. So we're not hiring right now. Uh, we have a PSL in place. Uh, we have just hired. We're not expecting to grow much this year. Um, we've already got established relationships with other recruiters or sometimes just simply not being able to get through to the decision maker very easily. So all of the objections that we expect to get and we've all heard time and time again, I always train it. There's nothing that's going to be a magic wand here and help you turn every single call into a success. But ultimately, it's about not giving up. And it's about asking questions when you find an objection so you can find out what's really behind it. Um, and there are various models that people use to train objections as well. Like a, a lot of it, I think, is from the early S3 days, actually, stuff that's found its way out into the market because obviously a lot of the um, the original S3 they guys do, have set up their own very successful recruitment me, businesses now. Uh, and they still tell me, what KPIs do you believe in? Yeah. I believe in KPIs which are um, related to outputs, actually, rather than inputs. So I was talking to someone the other day um, in terms of fleshing out some KPIs for their team and things like number of calls not really something I believe in that much. I think if you think if you think less about the inputs and more about the outputs, i.e. number of CVs sent, it's better yeah. because it's not so much about how hard someone is working and how many people they're contacting. For me, it's it's much more about are Bump they me making meaningful calls and actually converting them into something the number of which could result in a that deal. That you would prescribe somebody to do and how they would run their day. So I don't prescribe people on how to run their days. What, what I do is I talk to them more about blocking off time to do the various things. So the reason I say that is each of my clients has got their own very definite way of how they KPI their team. And the variance on that is huge. So some businesses are quite KPI heavy. 
Um, other businesses you know, are very open about the fact that they don't believe in putting too much um, KPI strain on people because they don't want to turn into that kind of environment where every little thing is measured. They're much more interested in backing people, believing in people, um, and making sure that the outputs are there. So I don't kind of do a deep dive into working on KPIs with all of my clients. It's much more about if my client asks me, what do you think the KPI should be for this role? Then we'll sit there, we'll so talk Dennis, it through, we'll flesh it out through, and we'll put something together. What that looks which like. Is the conversation that I've just like, uh, mentioned. Do they happened. set a numerical target? Um, hey, I want, hmm. I, want, I want my rookie to get up to 100 or 200. And do you work backwards on that? If like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so just to talk about it really generally, so yeah. it would involve working backwards. It involves in, you look at the, I guess, average deal value. You look at what someone's target is going to need to be to be profitable. And then once you work out with what outputs you're going to need to be running a successful business, you can then almost reverse engineer that once you're looking at ratios. So if you know that someone needs to do three deals a month to make 15K and their average deal value on the perm side is um, 5K, so three times five gets you to 15, then it's a case of, right, how many interviews do we need to arrange to do that many deals? How many CVs do we need out to arrange the relevant amount of interviews and then just continue to work it backwards all the way to call levels? But for me, instead of focusing too much on the inputs, I'd much rather focus on things like interviews, CVs out, things that are actually going to get you nearer to the finish line when it comes to deals, rather than inputs and things like that um the reason i say that is actually i remember uh, i remember speaking to a consultant a few years ago who i don't think grasped mm. why 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 the kpis are there in the first place so one of this person's kpis was call times and i remember this person telling me at the end of the day i have had an awesome day my kpis tomorrow are going to be absolutely through the roof and the reason for that is my call times are going to be huge because everybody that I've spoken to, I've called them and I've left them a really uh, detailed voicemail if they haven't been able to pick up. So because I've spent so much time leaving voicemails, my KPIs are going to be brilliant tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, okay, so here we've got someone who's so focused on talking about it or thinking about it literally that they're not actually thinking about what the end game here needs to be. Um, so hence, I'm a bit more focused on CVs out, and w which obviously means that you've got to have spoken to the person in the first place and qualified them properly, and you've got to have matched them to the right role. And you've got to, if you're a resourcer, you've got to have convinced the consultant who's making decisions on this that they're actually relevant for the for the role. So, in order to get the CV out, then a whole bunch yeah, of other stuff needs to have been done correctly in the first place. The advent of digital media process. and how that's impacting does that, does that make sense? Consultants, the way they want to work, and the outcomes of how the business works. Yeah, because you're talking about a lot of traditional stuff. Um, so, in, and, so as in, you know, the LinkedIn world is obviously changed a lot. And how does that how does that fit into yeah. how you interact with them? Do you do you discuss that side yes. of it? Is it is it something that you're seeing clients measure? Yeah, I haven't actually seen a lot of my clients measure that, to be honest with you. And, and that's something that I'm really yeah. interested in learning more about myself. So in terms of um, LinkedIn and digital media, obviously, all of the clients are now um, con continually surfing LinkedIn for passive candidates and making a lot of approaches that way and uh, finding a lot of success from LinkedIn. And all of my clients pay for recruiter licenses for their team and, you know, utilizing it as much as possible. So LinkedIn projects and all of that. But in terms of um, actively posting, some businesses tend to have um, to have a culture of posting jobs on there quite a lot. And other businesses um, don't tend to post to post much outside of jobs, if that makes sense. So Maybe jobs are being posted on there, but in terms of social media posts, provoking conversation, um, sharing good things that they've done, there's not always as much of that going on um, as I as as I would like. Because I see yourself and Charlotte, for example, very prolific on um, LinkedIn. There's a number of people who I see posting almost on a daily basis, um, 
And I don't see recruiters doing that. They'd normally just throw jobs yeah, we follow there the, and the, leave it there. I think it's the more closely. cutting edge recruiters there doing office, that a little bit more. It was very evident that like he's invested a lot in this. One of the things that he yeah. does is he tracks all the analytics of how many followers his different consultants have and the business has. And then they translate that into leads. And, you know, they have their, they, they invest heavily mm-hmm. in that whole digital side. And we don't have the same runway of capital to do that. But I, I firmly believe that the, I believe in the traditional stuff that you're talking about. And I think mm-hmm. it should be married with a real strong digital media presence. But I would worry that every like recruiters get lost in trying to be everything. So they try and, especially independent recruiters, they get lost at trying to be a marketing manager and trying to be a, a social media star. And then, and then, then they lose back that traditional thing that they're, that, that, that's got them the success. Where do you, I agree. Yeah, I, I do think you're right. I mean, I don't, the, the people that are prolifically posting on LinkedIn and getting a lot of um, interaction with their posts, it, it's it's the same people again and again who are very, very good at that. I don't think um, the community of recruiters in general go that much further than using uh, LinkedIn to find candidates because and then also posting jobs on there. My job is um, much more interesting. So definitely, as the world changes, as you're saying, definitely recruiter, an opportunity. Where uh, all those ratios that you were talking about, and you know, I, I, I had them off, and that that worked. Uh-huh. Um, but be, being creative has allowed me, in the sh- in the long term, for the job to be more interesting. But it definitely hurt my revenue ability in the short term. And since I've hired somebody full time to help me with marketing, it's freed me up to do mm-hmm. a bit more of the traditional recruitment. And I think people can have the misconception that. Like we're just floating around the whole time, not doing real recruitment yeah. and trying to just do podcasts and that. When that, it's not quite the truth, you know. There's a like we we like we've an engine that does a tremendous yeah. amount of sourcing for us. The four the four girls that are full time sourcing and account managing, and we have somebody that facilitates a lot of our marketing with us as well, full time, and. That allows me to be the tip mm. of the spear to do a lot of the real recruitment stuff. And I, I think it's really tough. It's tough to stay away from the digital stuff, but it's really easy to get lost in it. And it's very hard for companies to figure out where that line is. And I, I was I agree. It's the larger businesses, I think, that have got dedicated individuals or even teams in some cases on that. Um, certainly the smaller recruiters, and I'm talking about businesses of, I guess, 75 heads or less, um, probably less focused on that and more focused on transactionally bringing in revenue and business we're um, running without the dedicated social in media. In many cases, the same way we were in 1990. And you know, companies talk about being old school as a badge of honor. And that, like, it's fine, you can be old school, but you want to attract the best talent. So you yeah. want the best 24-year-old because, you know, people like young recruiters because they're on the way up and you can really work them hard and they're less expensive. And lots of benefits to hiring somebody in their second job. But yet they want to mm. treat them like the world was 20 years ago. You know, it's a, it's difficult. Cool. How what time when you were running? How how do your clients manage the motivation? People have got different expectations these See days all this too. modern so, stuff happening. Yeah, a lot's changed in the last and, thirty years. And get sure. them focused to being on the phone and traditional. What type of stuff are you are you seeing that's that's working? Yeah, I think I mean definitely the tech stuff is 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 changing the way the game is played and and has had a big impact. So the advent of LinkedIn, obviously so much communication these days over email and even text and even WhatsApp. Um but 
ultimately, I do still think there is a time and a place for, you may call it old school, but it's about getting on the phone and building relationships with people and then face-to-face getting in front of them as well. Um, So one of my clients that, yeah, yeah. Um, So one of my clients that does a lot of, I mean, this is a very simplistic example of, um, of the technology thing that we're talking about, but one of my clients that does a hell of a lot of business internationally, and there's loads going on, they're they're based in the UK, but Mm -hmm. they've got loads going on in the USA and and Asia as well. Um, They're continually on flights out um, for client and candidate meetings. And one thing that they've talked about this year in their annual conference is, is, because of the environmental issues associated with too much flying mm. is actually trying to move away from being so face to face and less absolutely necessary and doing much more by video conference um and that's really with a view to you know the environmental factors as well as the the cost saving and to echo your point i do think that the way the way the game is played now you know is relying a lot more on technology and video calling but at the same time, you've got to, you've got to find that right balance, which is why it's an interesting conversation because you can't hey, really rely on that. We're going to launch IT um, this year. And relationships are often built face to face and often I'm trying built to over marry a coffee a or a traditional beer. model with our media centric and uh, okay. our account management sourcing recruiters that we that, that, that I have working for me, and with the traditional piece in the middle. Um, in terms of your your tech clients, are you able to kind of give me any insight into what what uh what tech stacks that they're using um like is there in terms of like the tools that they're using is there anything that uh you see coming up where you go they tell you it's brilliant outside of linkedin of course Um, I mentioned global data earlier, and I think there's things like Source Breaker out there these days as well that most of my clients are using that or an or an equivalent of. Um, yeah, um, in terms of tracking down people's email addresses and direct contact information when that's not as readily available. Um, so I think that's a big one, um, and I think the balancing act that most recruitment businesses are are on these days is looking at all of this management information that they've got access to, because they all subscribe to various um, different technologies and you've got cloud call and, you know, phone times and observing phone calls when listening in and all of that kind of stuff. And because the management teams are typically so hands-on themselves as well, um, and if they're, if they're away from the tools, they're certainly very busy looking at the strategic stuff and figuring out ways to grow the business and, and increase client share, that I don't think many of uh, many recruitment businesses actually invest as much time as they would like to in looking at what return on investment they get from all of these different tools. I think they do a, a, a bit of that, but no, it's a hell it, of a job it, really it to spend all is. of your time we, uh, um, taking a deep dive into all these technologies uh, and looking at how people are uh, using it, what they're getting from it, etc. cetera. We have to reach out to Sourcebreaker. That could be the next of it. Uh, see if they'd like to sponsor the podcast, you know. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting journey to to replicate our model and put it into okay, technology. Yeah, it sounds like think, it makes sense. I, I I see the benefits of having the media on the front end in terms of your lead gen and your brand and and all of that, and I can help boost you know your clients' brand and relationships in, in general, and also having people take care of the administration mm-hmm. and the first part of the sourcing, not the phone calls. Um, it's it's a bit of a game changer. Um, in terms of models that you see out there, I'm when I'm talking to like there's a few people selling uh, yeah. coaching services, model based coaching services out hmm. there, and I see them really aggressively selling the 180 model or even chopping it into three bits. Well, where, what do okay. you think about that in terms of? Um, Change, moving away from the traditional 360 um where do you where do you kind of advise that where do you say well no stick to it? 
Yeah, I do often think so. I, one of the so my role is often um, split into the training and development side, but then also working with the management teams as well on uh, making sure they get the management piece right and the strategy right as well. And the argument over three sixty versus one eighty is is definitely something that um, that I talk about quite a lot. So personally, my view is that I I am a real advocate of bringing people in on a one eighty model actually. Um, and letting them absolutely nail the skill set of working with candidates, controlling candidates, um, and managing that entire candidate process. Um, and that's way before they go client side. But that's just my view. That doesn't fit with um, every recruitment business. Um, but for me, the, and the reason that I promote that quite a lot is off the back of what we've just been talking about for the last few minutes, technology has changed the game. And all of these technologies are really useful if utilized, but they're also really distracting as well if not utilized correctly. And they can be a massive um, thing to sink time into and not get too much of a return from. I mean, even something as, as simple as LinkedIn, which everybody's really familiar with, um, there's a difference between using that to go, you know, to to populate a, a project of candidates that are going to be very useful for you. And there's also a difference between then having a surf around aimlessly and burning 20 minutes and not getting, getting anything out of it as well. Um, and especially as people's content gets better and better and there's more and more interesting videos on there um, with people talking about challenges and topical stuff, it's all really useful stuff but in terms of helping you hit your monthly target right here and now it can also be viewed as a distraction so it's when to look at certain types of content as well um so i think the i think the role of a recruiter is way more complex than it was when i first got into recruitment 20 years ago and for that for that reason i think it's good to specialize and simplify things a little bit and help someone um get their skills together on the candidate side before they then go client side um, I think a lot of businesses do bring people in and they expect within two to three months yeah. they're going to the be the full uh, ticket and they're going to be doing survive. 360 deals, bringing okay. in their own clients, et cetera, it's et cetera. It's and a scourge on the industry. That's really just not always realistic in my view. Yeah, I mean, it and is. It doesn't, it doesn't help the is, reputation you know, of a recruiter. Um, the big and also, you know, what a waste of money as well. And you must it's, see, uh, you must see it's not good for anyone um, concerned, really. I'm not going to ask you specifically about that, but it, what type of training do you give managers? Like, what? Yeah. What's that? What does that look like? For like, do you like, especially if it's not a KPI-driven business? I, I think that would be very tough because then it's qualitative and it's not quantitative specifically. And then you're in, the, you're in the realms of emotional uh, emotion and opinion, mm. as opposed to fact and data. Like how how do you, how, how do you coach that? Yeah, thing? yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, I think a lot of it is about breaking the role down into its into its basics so it's going to be about retaining the team it's going to be about driving the team to make sure that you collectively hit target um, it's going to be about making sure that people are learning and growing and getting better and f and for me you know there, there's a lot of different sections on that and I come in and do management workshops and train people over over a series of days um, and we'll do a day on the psychology of it and about understanding someone's learning style and personality profile so you can adjust your communication style so your message lands. Um, but we'll also do days, and for me this is the biggest thing, on something as simple as setting really clear objectives and then supporting the individual to achieve those and then following up as well. So I see so much in recruitment and especially linking to your point about the, the big billers ending up running their own teams. Sometimes if, if a big biller is running their own team because it was an expectation that was thrust upon them, um, there's an assumption that creeps in. And I always train assumption is something that we should never do in recruitment. But there's an assumption that creeps in that everybody's going to be on the same page as them. And everyone's going to be able to pick it up as fast as them. And that's just simply not always true. So often it's about helping um, the, the more junior managers sit down with the individuals in their team, work on some collaborative objectives that with coaching, they should be able to pull from the individual in their team. 
So this week, I want to achieve this many uh, new clients and this many jobs on and this many CVs out. And then, as we mentioned earlier briefly, reverse engineering that with them so they can understand, right, in order to get these outputs, this is what I'm going to need to do at the front end in terms of inputs and working with that. And then the big thing is checkups midway through the process to make sure that someone's getting there and they're not experiencing any unexpected challenges and then follow through. So the next um, one-to-one meeting with them is right. Let's talk about how you got on with your objectives last week. Let's talk about what went well, where the challenges were, and now let's collaboratively work out some new objectives for the coming week. And one thing that I, I train is that's not always as simple as just about hitting KPIs. It's going to be, you know, where it gets interesting is where you ask the right questions around the challenges and you start talking about market insights that they might have picked up, um, start what doing what I call stress testing pipeline. So if someone's got um, a candidate in final stage interview, do they know where else the other candidate's interviewing? Do they, do they know where else... Um, the other candidates are from that the hiring manager is interviewing. How many other people are there at this late stage of interview process? You know, do we know in? how excited we should be get, we should was, be getting about this consensus final stage interview in pipeline? Is it looking really Walters. good or is it not? Uh, and I'm I'm really happy I was as well. You know, it's uh, exactly. So it moves on to forecasting. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll be honest. Okay. I knew okay. I knew I needed it as well, and I knew I was there for a period of time. Well, and that's I knew what I was, was going to say. It may not have business. felt that pleasant at the time, but I bet you're thankful for it now. And I did three because years. That's how you learn, isn't and it? like the, the stuff, like I kept all the stuff I was taught there, uh-huh. but then I added media and the sourcing piece onto either side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and I've got similar memories actually of of um, being like really tightly managed, and like now I tell stories and anecdotes um, when I'm working with teams about where I've learned the most in my career, and and a lot of the time, that's when you know if I think back about every boss I've reported into over my career, you know, there's there's a lot that I kind of think back on fondly, but there's a couple that really stand out as the best bosses I've ever had and the people I learned the most from, and you know, it wasn't necessarily pleasant when I was reporting into them. But when I look, but when I look back now, I think, you know, wow, that is, you I know, absolutely this guy was like you at the time. Or I learned I loads it. from that person. And I'm very it's the stuff that uh, but might it, feel painful at the time, but you take I'm that with you what, in your career. Working in a big agency is tough. And, and I get why they go for young people, you know, because you need to have a lot of energy about you. And, you need to have limited creative and independent yes. thought, which uh, yes. which I was on the cusp of probably having a wee bit too much. You can read into that one or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> But I, I hear what you say. I mean, I, maybe that's another way that the um, the industry is changing, actually, is, because um, I do see nobody has a lot of noise now and hear a lot more talk so about um, businesses them. welcoming uh, that creativity. And I think much more than they so, used like, to. I think and, I'd say and, and I will, I'll there. admit, we got lost in it, but we figured out, we figured out how to make that all work together no. in, a, in a workable model. But yes. it's, taken, it's taken a number of years. To, to, to get to that. And I can see people experimenting with it now and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to waste a lot of time on this. You know, it's it's, it's tough. Journey on. Yeah, well, I agree that the whole models thing um no, no one's got it entirely figured out. And even when you do feel you've got it figured out, something changes in the industry. There's something that moves and you have to adjust again. And, you know, for me, that's why there are so many recruitment businesses, all of which who are hitting targets. I mean, many of my clients had record years in 2019. And, you know, that's despite Brexit and being a bit more conservative in their forecasts, um, perhaps. But, um Things are going well in the industry. It's a growing industry, but yet it's still a young industry. It's um, it's not that mature yet. 
And what works for one business in terms of bringing people in and pushing them 360 straight away and helping them with uh, a certain list of technologies doesn't necessarily work for another. Um, or they do it differently, but also find success. Um, so it's really, I mean, one of the most interesting things about my job is working right, Dan, with different businesses. Uh, I really do get to see that's, that's awesome. um, we've done nearly different ways of, minutes. of doing it. I'd like to thank and you for your time, your insight. Lot, you know, most of the time. Um, before we finish up, anything you want to ask me? or to success. I, uh, anything like that? Oh, um, that's a good question. I, I was, I was, I was tough where I was trained um, at Walters. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you what was your uh, view on the on the training and the development space. Hours and hours and hours honing in my skill. I was very lucky to get to work for her named Jodie Gillespie, and uh, it, I had it, like yeah. she would stay like it was eight till six, but she was there to eight o'clock at times with me, just in the office drilling it. She must have thought she must have seen that I, I maybe I could do quite well. Uh, Yeah, wow. and I, I was at the stage, I was 27, so um, I was last chance saloon for a professional career in my head. You wouldn't be doing that unless you thought there was going to be, Even though yeah, I had, like, exactly, some qualifications and stuff, but I had a bit of a, 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 bit of a good well. time in my 20s. Uh, and, and yeah, that that stuff stood with me. Um, the classroom oh, stuff okay. I wasn't very good at. Um, I find it very hard. I find it very hard listening to somebody. I prefer to kind of get on and do the job but that's was that's down to learning styles um one I think it's got to be a blend of both isn't it really I mean there's a time and a place for the theory in the classroom but it's not about um relying on that exclusively you've got to blend it with um practical so you can actually see someone on the phone and maybe give them a few tips and pointers um and then from the feedback that you can then provide to their manager um it's real isn't it it's not someone look like they got it in the classroom yeah, it's much more okay this is what someone did on the phone and this is what someone needs to work suited on to what learning and style, then, especially if you're and then, i guess these people. days the way the games the game yeah. has changed a bit as well is it's, um, a, it's a tough one i think it's probably an area i just don't know enough about my my wife charlotte um, has our own training manual that we've developed for what were our virtual assistants who are now really yeah. our recruitment account managers and each time we have a hire we take in our lessons learned and develop that mm -hmm. training manual even more and that it's really taken from Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week where we prescribe just a little bit of learning every week and we try and build them up over a three-month period to be like really up, running, standing alone, That's good. knowing what they have to do, what their minimum amount of of uh, of activities are, uh, and and yeah, that's it's it's yeah. it's it's an ongoing area. I wouldn't say we have it uh, we have it down packed, um, but it always amazes me how big firms can get yeah. recruiters up and going and independent for three months. In, in three months, uh, it blows my because there's so much complexity but then i suppose they have the the budget to be able to throw a few sacrifice sacrificial lambs out there mm. well yeah I mean, we haven't really um talked about this yet but one the reason that i even got into uh or got into learning and development was when i first started in recruitment i worked for a business that gave me my first break in recruitment but it was one of these situations that i'm sure you've heard a million times before where someone basically points you in a direction and says there's a desk mate there's a telephone um go and do some recruitment so no, i was doing senior finance recruitment at the time and I had no idea about all the different financial qualifications, no idea about how to bring clients on board, what the objections are going to be, what you should be asking a candidate when initially qualifying them and what you should be asking them throughout the process. And in my first year, I did enough deals to justify my existence and I did okay, but I wasn't earning the money that I've been kind of sold the dream on during the interview process. I wasn't a successful 
as I wanted to be or expected to be. And it's only when I then changed jobs and went to a different recruitment company and they suddenly sent um, a group of all of us new starters um, to some training. They got an external trainer in and um, we basically went through a three-day course. I think with the, with the, with the year's worth of um, deals that I'd done and a year's worth of deals that I'd missed out on when things had gone wrong, suddenly when I had the training with all of the context that I had behind me, suddenly I was able to understand, oh, wow, that's why that deal went in because I had been asking this type, these type of questions throughout the process. And that's why that deal messed up and didn't end up in a placement because I didn't ask anything about X, Y, Z. And with the context, suddenly overnight, my billings just doubled. Um, Because I think a few tweaks, a few different methods of asking questions, a few different things in your head in terms of the information that you want to walk away from a call with, um, once you put the phone down, once you've got that awareness of the entire process and how it's all going to be pieced together, um, that can really help people be successful. And it worked for me, which is which is why I, I, I've then always remembered that, was inspired by it, and then 10 years later right, got into uh, the training Dan, myself. I will leave it um, there. Because um, I think having a bit of context and allowing people to have their own successes and their own failures and then helping them understand why they were either successes or failures that helps people learn, doesn't it? Thank you for having me. Great talking to you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Big thank you to Dan for coming on the podcast. Dan reached out because he listens to it. And uh, told me that uh, he was enjoying it. So uh, if you are, just reach out to me and come on. I'm sure it'll help Dan's uh, business in that uh, we, we share similar clients, similar portfolio of clients. And uh, I think, you know, listening to, to the podcast, you can tell that Dan is a traditional trainer and goes to fundamentals of things that affect recruitment, sales process, qualification, Sourcing, sales, closing, all all the stuff that you know we're taught at the start, and then we start ignoring it bit by bit because we think that it becomes innate to us, and then we take on other people in our business and we forget how it was done specifically, and we expect them to know. So it's really important that you have traditional trainers like this come into your business, and you know rehash some of those fundamentals that you know really make a difference to your bottom line i know i talk about brand a lot and marketing but really i'm obsessed with the kpis that affect us and you know i target my own team on some specific metrics uh, in terms of activities and as well as building brand and doing those type of things so i don't think we should ever lose sight of the way things were done in the past we should be adding if anything, modern technologies, modern media, and storytelling in the right way to a traditional platform. Because if it worked then, it will work now. It's just we need other things as well with it. Anyway, that's often a bit of a tangent there. But I just think there's a lot of bullshit out there. It's nice when somebody comes on and is quite specific about what they do and how they do it. Hope you've enjoyed. If you do, do let me know. Please send it to another recruiter. Live and die by the contact we have with recruiters. Our business is so heavily focused on what happens on this podcast and how that transmits to our audience of recruiters. Um, so much so, it's, it's completely changed the way we do business. All right. Have a great day. And I hope to hear from you very soon.